Today, our reading comes from Hebrews 12, four through 11. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stephanie, you can be seated. Beloved, there's my opinion, there's your opinion, and then there's what Stephanie's just read, which is the very word of God. We should ask that he would teach us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you particularly for this word, which speaks to us about life in a broken world. Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning that you would not just instruct us though, Lord, but that you would allow us to taste and see that you're good. Lord, we long, we long to see you with eyes of faith, to hear you with ears of faith, to behold you in your beauty and to be melted in your presence. Teach us in Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Wilkins and I'm one of the pastors here with uh, with Mitchell at City Church. And if you're visiting with us, welcome. We are really thankful that you're here. We are in the, uh, the tail end of a study through the letter of Hebrews. And this morning, we come to one of the most pastoral moments in this letter. In chapter 11, the author walked us through a who's who in the Old Testament, people who, um, and this is very important to see, people who, whether they were delivered or whether they died, they lived their lives by faith in God. They looked to God in faith and they looked to his promises and they said with the psalmist, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the sea, we will not fear because God is our refuge and our strength. And the author tells us that, that these Old Testament saints were commended by God for their faith, meaning that when they died and they stood before the Lord, they heard his commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into your, the joy of your master. And then last week, we looked at the very beginning of Hebrews 12, where the author describes the Christian life as a race, and not just a sprint, a short dash, and not even just a marathon, but an ultra marathon, a marathon that actually we run our entire lives. 
And we looked at the word race and, and we saw that it was the translation of the word agon, which is where we get our word agony. And that's a pretty apt description of the Christian life, which is why the author tells us that we need to lay aside every weight and every sin that so um, easily entangles us and run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus. Now, you have to keep in mind that the believers who first read this letter are really, really struggling. They are beaten down and they're worn out. They have become pariahs to their families, to their friends, to the religious communities in which they were raised. And they are tempted to give up to the pressures around them and to give up on Jesus. And they're asking the question, why? Why do we have to struggle? I mean, why, why can't the Christian life be more like a walk in the park than an ultramarathon? Why can't life be easy? Now, one thing I must say, and one thing that you must hear before we address that question, is that what the author says in this passage is not all the Bible has to say about struggling and pain in the Christian life. In fact, the Bible has a whole lot more to say about struggling and pain in the Christian life than what the author says here. But what the author says here is important because what he's doing is he's zeroing in on how struggling functions in the life of believers. That being said, why does a Christian life have to be such a struggle? Why, why can't it just be easy? The author answers that question for us with one word. It's the word that he repeats over and over and over in this passage. What is that word? Come on. What's the word? What's the most often repeated word in this passage? Discipline. discipline. Verse five, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Verse six, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Verse seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Verse 10, he, God, disciplines us for our good. Discipline. It's a word that for some of us sitting in this room, it, it sends cold shivers up our spine because it evokes images of unbridled anger and abuse. You envision an enraged parent with a leather belt pouring out his or her wrath on a defenseless child. There is no love. And the message in those moments of tears and terror is you must fear and obey the one who hits hardest and hurts the most. Beloved, let me be very clear. That is abuse. That is wrong. It is straight from the pit of hell. That kind of treatment of anyone is anathema. And God hates it more than you do or I do. Please know that. 
That is not what the author is talking about here when he talks about discipline. The Greek word that is translated discipline in our passage is paideia. It's the word from which we get our word pediatrician or pedagogy. And what that means is that discipline is much more broad than correction. Everything about discipline is in the service of instruction. It is in the service of training. Now, it it certainly includes correction, sometimes even painful correction, which is why the author says in verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But what is God's disposition when it comes to discipline? Verse six, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Verse 10, the Lord disciplines us for our good. You know this kind of discipline. And I'm gonna tell a quick story about you, okay? I forgot to ask her. Is that okay? You can say no, no, you can't. When Anna, when Anna was a toddler, um, she was quite the runner, as Kathy can tell. And she was also quite an escape artist. And there were times when Anna would run toward the street, just reckless abandon, Wah! And Kathy would hike her skirt up, hop over a fence and chase after her. And we would have to discipline Anna Grace. We would, we would have to, we, yeah, we would have to discipline her. Um, we had to train her. We had to teach her. You don't want to run into the street. It's not good for you. Why? Why would we discipline her? Why would you discipline your kids for doing that? It's because, it's not because you hate them but it's because you love them. It's because you want them to stay alive. You want them to flourish. You want them to grow up. You want them to be all that God created them to be. Beloved, God disciplines us. He trains us. He teaches us. He he corrects us because he loves us and because he is always at work for our good. More than that, the author is telling us here that the discipline of the Lord is actually evidence that God is our loving, wise, and gracious Father. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever spent time with a child who has never been disciplined? Have you ever spent time around a spoiled kid? When Kathy and I were first married, we were living nannies, Uh, for a family where the father had taught his children, you are your own boss. I I don't have, I don't have, you, you don't answer to me and you don't answer to your mother. In fact, nobody has the right to tell you what to do. No one has authority over you. I'm not lying. This is what this father taught his children. Now, my guess is that some kids might think, ooh, that sounds that sounds really pretty cool. If, if I could just do what I wanted to do. But let me tell you something. It wasn't cool. It, it wasn't awesome. This father, albeit unintentionally, was setting his children up for a life of frustration and failure. I mean, think, think about what it would be like for this person to get a job 
and have a boss and be told to do something that he or she didn't really wanna do. Or think about what it would be like for this person to be married where they are no longer allowed to be the center of their own universe, but they actually have to set aside themselves and learn how to compromise and how to love the other. Or, th- or think about what it would be like to live with this person as a roommate. Or think about what, it might, what might happen to this person if he or she was pulled over by a policeman for running a stoplight or, or running a stop sign, especially if he or she didn't think that they were wrong. You see, no discipline is a recipe for disaster. And you sort of, you all know it. This is why the author of Hebrews says in verse eight, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Stated positively, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Echoing The author of Hebrews in his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, we may wish indeed that we were of so little account to God that he left us alone to follow our natural impulses, that that he would give over trying to train us into something so unlike our natural selves. But once again, we're asking not for more love, but for less. And then a little later in the book, he says this. He says, to ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God should cease to be God. What this means is that the Lord loves us as we are, but the Lord loves us enough not to leave us as we are. Beloved, what the author is telling us here is that our loving heavenly father is at work in the joys of our lives and in the heartbreaks. He's at work in our happiness and he's at work in our hurts. He's at work in our pleasures and he's at work in our pain. He's at work in our delights and he's at work in our disappointments. And while that's hard to wrap our heads and hearts around, have you ever considered the alternative? that God is not at work in the joys and in the heartbreaks, that God is not at work in the happiness and in the hurts, that God is not at work in the pleasures and the pain, that God is not at work in the delights and the disappointments that we experience. Do you remember what the author of Ecclesiastes concluded about both joy and heartbreak in life if God isn't at work in and through them? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Beloved, what the author is saying here is that the reason why the Christian life is oftentimes such a struggle why oftentimes the Christian life is so difficult, why often we find ourselves so frustrated and disappointed isn't because God has abandoned you. It isn't because God is indifferent to you or to your situation. It isn't because God has turned his back on you, but because God, our wise and loving father, is at work in you for your good. Which of course raises the second question. What is the purpose of God's fatherly discipline? 
Well, you just said, Jeff, you said it was so that we would be assured that we are his children. And yes, that's one of his purposes, but that's not all. What does the author say at the end of verse 10? He says, he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. What does the author say at the end of verse 11? That God's fatherly discipline, while for the moment seems painful rather than pleasant, later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Beloved, God is passionate about holiness. Do you remember what we saw last week? Do you remember what the, what the author says in verse 14 of chapter 12? We saw this. He said, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What he's saying is, is no holiness no heaven. And the Lord, the Lord longs to bring us into his presence. Here's the problem. I'm not holy. And you're not holy. And what the author is telling us is that through his fatherly discipline, God is at work making us what we are not. God is at work creating and cultivating holiness in our lives. Like a master surgeon, God, through his fatherly discipline, is taking a scalpel of grace and he is operating on us. He is making incisions that no doubt hurt, but incisions that will ultimately lead to healing. Or maybe think about it like this. Think about the weight room. God's fatherly discipline is like lifting weights. Now, what happens when you lift weights? As you can tell, I had to look this up on Wikipedia because I'm not a pro. During a workout, lifting weights causes microscopic tears in the fiber and the connective tissue of your muscles. These microscopic tears fatigue the muscles to the point that instead of feeling stronger when you're finished working out, you actually feel weaker, right? So, so they tell me. But with rest and proper nutrition, those muscles are slowly rebuilt. And the result is that over time, those muscles increase in size and strength. Beloved, that's what the author is talking about in verses 10 and 11. That's what God is doing through fatherly discipline. He is doing surgery on our hearts that bring about holiness. He is tearing you down so that he can build you up. He is training you in order that you might produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your lives. You see, God doesn't just want your holiness. It's not like God sits in heaven and goes, oh, I wish they would be holy God is actually committed to you to make you holy, that you might share in his holiness. And this is the purpose of his discipline. How does God's discipline cultivate holiness in our lives? Well, God's discipline can transform our attitudes towards ourselves, humbling us. 
in confronting us with our pride and our self-sufficiency. God's discipline can lead us to examine ourselves and see our weaknesses because God's discipline oftentimes brings out the worst in us. Our sharp tongues, our weak faith, our laziness, our insensitivity to people, our worry, our bitter spirits and other weaknesses are often exposed in times of discipline. God's discipline can actually strengthen your relationship with the Lord because it drives you back to the Lord as it exposes your heart. It drives you to the Lord in confession, in repentance, in faith. And lastly, God's discipline equips you to be useful to other people around you. In the words of Tim Keller, adversity makes us far more compassionate than we would have been otherwise. Just a handful of ways that God works his grace, his holiness into our lives. Beloved, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that in God's fatherly love and wisdom, he is at work in the difficulties and the hardships and the disappointments and in the struggle to make us more like Jesus. Which is why the apostle Paul can say this in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God is doing an eternal work in you right now. Now there's so much more that we could talk about, but I wanna end like this. I know that for some of you, this is really hard to swallow. And you might be thinking, my life is falling apart, Jeff. I can't understand what God is doing. How can anything good come out of what's happening in my life? And the author answers you. He's treating you like a son. He's treating you like a daughter. You object. But this is so hard. There's no way that God would allow me to struggle like this if he really loved me. This feels like punishment. And I would say to you, look at the table. Look at the table. What do you see? You see Jesus. That on the cross, he bore our sins in his body. You see that on the cross, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities, that the punishment that brought us peace was on him, that by his wounds, we are healed. You see that on the cross, Jesus drank the cup of the wine of the wrath of God so that we might come to the table and drink the cup of blessing. You see that on the cross, God the Father made Jesus sin, who knew no sin, so that he could make us the righteousness of God. 
And what that means is that if you are a Christian, if you look to Christ in faith, if you are united to Christ by faith, no matter how painful your circumstances in this life may be, it is impossible for them to be punishment. They can't be punishment because Jesus paid it all. Beloved, as painful as God's discipline is for you and for me, can you imagine the pain that the father felt when he heard the voice of the son crying out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what that means? How deep the father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Beloved, this is what God is doing because he's your father and because he loves you. Why? Because he is working his holiness into you. He's in the process of bringing you to glory. So here's the question that you have to wrestle with. If this is the love of God for you, won't you trust that he has your best interests at heart? Won't you trust that he is working all things for your good, even when you don't understand what he's doing or why he's doing it? This is what it means to live a life of faith. And our prayer of response is the prayer of the father who brought his son to Jesus for healing. Lord Jesus, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we can rest assured that you are actually at work for our good, even in the difficulties and the disappointments and the heartbreak of life. Lord, this is a hard pill to swallow. And yet we pray that you would give us grace to rest and to receive what you have for us here. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.